0: fill this church with your glory. I pray that as each of us is here today, that you would set aside distractions that may be in our heart, in our mind, anything that keeps us from hearing your word that's about to be preached. I pray that you'd be with Brian as he brings your word before the congregation today. I pray that you would give him words to say, help him to speak truth, and I pray that it would touch the hearts of those that are in this room and those that are watching online. We love you, and we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Please be seated. All right, good morning. It is good to be worshiping with you here this morning. Uh, My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors of the church. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Philippians, the book of Philippians. Uh, If you do not have a Bible, there should be a solid colored black one somewhere nearby under uh, one of the chairs nearby. Uh, If you're not familiar navigating your way through the scriptures, um, in those provided Bibles, Philippians chapter 1 should be on or about page 921, page 921. If you're in your own Bible, uh, they almost always put a table of contents in there, so don't be shy about looking for it. Philippians in most Bibles is only a couple of pages long, uh, so you'll want to find Philippians and follow along with us. As you're finding uh, this small letter from the Apostle Paul to the church and the overseers and the deacons um, in Philippi, I wonder what is the purpose of your life? What is the purpose of your life? what is your aim like when you sit down and you write out goals for your life what are the types of things that fill that list all right so if it's new years and you're making new year's resolutions or goals for this year what's what's that look like for you all right or maybe for you like this is at the beginning of a school year or like maybe this transition time of, of moving you're like here and and you've moved here for and you've only been here for a couple of days or a couple of weeks, and you're like, what's this next season of life going to look like? What, what types of things are you aiming for? Who are you ultimately trying to please in how you live your life? Right? Maybe it's a spouse. You're like, man, if I could just get them to think I'm doing this okay, that life would be okay. Maybe for you, it's a parent, and that could be for kids who are living in the home with mom and dad, or that could be like you are grown up and you've moved out, but you're still trying to please mom or dad. Maybe for you, it's a boss. Like if I could just hear a boss at some point say, good job, right? Like that's what you're really after in life. Maybe you're just trying to please yourself, right? Like I'm just trying to do Uh, good for myself. So I set these goals and if I set the goals that I set out to do, then I've done good enough. The title for the sermon this morning is A Worthy Life, right? This idea of having a life that is worth something, a life that matters. So what would that look like for you to live a worthy life? If we could fast forward your life 10 years from now, and you could interview you 10 years from now, what would you want to hear from you that said, hey, it's gone all right? You've lived this decade in a way that matters, that has worth and value. This morning, we continue wrestling through the book of Philippians. Uh, the big idea we see in this book of Philippians is this that we are to pursue gospel-centered unity for the sake of gospel advancement in all circumstances to glorify God. So again, that's a big idea of the whole book, of the whole letter. Pursue gospel-centered unity for the sake of gospel advancement in all circumstances to glorify God. This week, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. Just four verses this morning. I think it's the shortest number of verses I've ever preached on. I don't think it'll be the shortest sermon I've ever preached. So for those of you that are like trying to figure out, Dan, it's not going to, probably not, brother. What we see in this passage is we will see the writer, the Apostle Paul We're going to see this very rich paragraph for us. It's kind of like the entire letter of Philippians crammed into one paragraph. Here's what we're going to see. Live a life worthy of the gospel, standing firm together, not frightened by opponents for the sake of Christ. I know some of you are note takers, I will just tell you that big idea is also the sub points, so you're either going to like win or lose at the note taking game today, because it's like all the same, the big idea and the sub points of the sermon all the same, live a life worthy of the gospel, standing firm together, not frightened by opponents for the sake of Christ. So pick it up with me, Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 27. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for its clarity. Thank you for its richness. Thank you for its applicability into our lives. These words that were written nearly 2,000 years ago, God, I pray that you would show us how they would apply in our lives this day. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing we see just in the first half of verse 27 is that we are to live a life worthy of the gospel. Live a life worthy of the gospel. So the goal that the Apostle Paul has as he is sitting imprisoned for the gospel, right? So he's most likely imprisoned in Rome, as Jonathan talked about last week. As he sits in prison for the gospel, not knowing whether he'll ever be released to go see this church again or not, this church in Philippi again or not. His goal for them is that they live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that if the church, the Christians in Philippi, believe the gospel, believe the good news, that their manner of life, the way that they live their actual life, should be consistent with the reality of that news. That the Son of the Most High God, Jesus Himself, has come into the world to save sinners. Right? So the belief that Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High God, has come into the world to save sinners, and that they're one of the sinners that Jesus has saved, that that reality should impact their actual life. That's what he's saying. That's his goal for them. I think it'd be helpful for us to realize and understand the origin of this church in Philippi. You can either listen to me recount it, or you can kind of go over to Acts chapter 16 and kind of peruse Acts chapter 16 as I describe the beginning of this church in Philippi. Or you could go read later this week, Acts chapter 16. It is a fascinating Chapter of the Bible, and it's how this book of, or how this church in Philippi was started. So, first, we see the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote our letter, the Apostle Paul and his partner at the time, who is uh, a guy by the name of Silas, they show up in town in Philippi and they share the gospel, they share the good news with a woman who's named Lydia. She is called, she's described as a seller of purple goods. So she's a tradeswoman, uh, potentially a wealthy tradeswoman. She already desires to know God, right? She's gathering and giving prayers to God, but she doesn't really know who God is. She doesn't know who Jesus is. But the apostles, Paul and Silas, they come and they tell her the truth about Jesus, and she hears the gospel, she responds to the gospel, and her and her entire household become Christians. You're like, okay, that seems relatively tame. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, like that's a pretty tame part of Acts, right? Well, the story goes on. Next, they have a, a girl who's a slave who makes her master's money by fortune-telling. And this girl is following the apostles around and she is mocking them. She is teasing them. She's telling others not to listen to them, saying, hey, these are the people that are going to tell you about God and doing so most likely in a sarcastic way. What most people in the crowd don't realize is that the way that she tells fortunes is because she has an evil spirit in her. And so Paul and Silas... They're they're walking around and she's yelling out, she's mocking them. After many days of her doing this, the Apostle Paul, Luke tells us, the Apostle Paul becomes greatly annoyed. I imagine I would be greatly annoyed as well, right? So he's greatly annoyed. He commands the demon to come out of the girl, and it does Well, her owners don't get real happy about this, right? So her owners who are making money off of this girl who is able to tell fortunes, now she has lost her skill of telling fortunes. And so they basically start a riot in the city of Philippi. This riot ends with Paul and Silas being beaten with rods and thrown into jail and put into stocks. You don't need to do it right now, but stocks are like those wooden things. You can Google images, stocks, right? Uh, it's the wooden things you put your feet in so that you have to sit still. So that's how this ends. And you're like, okay, what? Well that's that's kind of weird. All right. Well, they're in jail. All right. So Paul and Silas, they don't waver. They're, they're in jail. They're praying. They're singing hymns to God. All the other prisoners are listening to them and then a miraculous earthquake loosens their bonds, throws open the doors, wakes up the Philippian jailer who's the one who put them into the stocks. And the jailer, when he sees all the doors open, he assumes that all the prisoners have escaped and he's about to kill himself with his own sword. The Apostle Paul sees the jailer about to do this and he cries out to him to stop him and says, don't do it. We're all still here. You don't need to do this. And the Apostle Paul shares with this Philippian jailer about Jesus. He shares with him the gospel and the Philippian jailer repents, believes in the gospel, him and his entire household with him. You may say, why in the world did you just summarize Acts chapter 16? Like that's how this church that Paul's writing the letter to got started. You see, this church knows a few things about the gospel. They know that the gospel is news that saves people. They know that it is news that is powerful. They know that it is news that drastically alters people's lives. It is news that has saved a tradeswoman and her entire family, a hardened Philippian jailer and his entire household, and maybe even the fortune-telling slave girl. That's the gospel. The gospel has the power to drastically alter lives. And Paul writes this letter 12, 13, 14 years later. So uh, some time has passed, but not like 100 years or something like that, right? 10, 12, 13, 14 years later, he writes this letter to them. And he says, live your life, continue to live your life worthy of that news. And he's going to explain in a moment what that looks like. But we need to pause here for just a second. We need to pause for a moment and think about how this applies to your life and to my life. You see, if you call yourself a Christian, that should mean that you have heard and responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ that you have realized that you are a sinner, that you have sinned against Almighty God, and that you need a Savior, and that Jesus Christ is that Savior. And that news should be drastically altering your life. It should change how you live. Notice it's a result, right, that we have heard and responded to God's work in our life. We've responded to the gospel. The result should be a changed life. Our manner of life should change. So my question to you this morning is this. Is it? Is the gospel of Jesus Christ changing how you live? Is it changing your life? The rest of our passage today is going to show us in more detail what the Apostle Paul means when he says a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. The rest of this letter, as we study it together, are going to talk about what it looks like to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And each one of us should take this opportunity to examine our lives, compare what the Apostle Paul is going to describe as the Christian life compared to our life and see what do we need to repent of and walk in those ways. Right. So if our life doesn't look like what the Apostle Paul describes as the Christian life, we should turn from our ways and trust in God's way. So what does a life worthy of the gospel of Christ look like? Well, secondly, we see In the second half of verse 27, standing firm together in the faith. So a life worthy of the gospel is standing firm together in the faith. Notice what it says there in verse 27. In one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel Striving together, side by side. Paul is writing to the saints in Philippi. He's also He says in chapter 1 and verse 1, he says he's also writing to the overseers, pastors, overseers, and for the deacons of the church. He's writing to them and he tells them, you need to stand firm together in the faith. One spirit, one mind. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. There is a lie that has taken root in the American church that needs to be exposed. There is a belief that you can live the Christian life by yourself. That it's just you and God and you just have this relationship with God that no one else understands, you hear from God in your own way, you apply it in your own way, you evaluate how you're doing at it, and no one else can speak into that. That belief is a lie. You cannot live the Christian life on your own. You cannot live the Christian life by yourself. You need other believers. You cannot strive side by side in one spirit and with one mind with yourself. You can't do that. You cannot obey these instructions. The belief of lone wolf Christianity is contrary to the clear teaching of the Bible. You need to get in community with other believers. You need to commit to membership in a local church. Honestly, this church or another faithful church, it's all the same to us, right? We're not just trying to build our thing here. Jared said that earlier on. We're not just trying to build our thing. We're trying to build the kingdom of Christ. But as your brother in Christ, if you're like, no, I'm good. I just flit back and forth between churches and I just I got this relationship with God, you just wouldn't really understand it, it's not good for you. It's contrary to the clear teaching of the Bible. You need to be in a church. You need to be with a committed body of believers. So let me ask you, what other believers are you in real relationship with? It goes further than just like, yes, I'm here. Yes, I come to this church. Yes, I'm committed to membership. But who actually knows you? Who knows your successes and your struggles? Who knows your gifts and your weaknesses? Who knows your past and what you believe God is calling you to do? And who's able to speak into that? I'll tell you, we need this reminder over and over and over again. Uh, last week, we had an elders meeting and we sat around and Pastor JD was leading us through the elders meeting. And, and as we do from time to time, he and uh, this particular elders meeting had a time crunch, right? Like we had a time we had to be done by. And he started leading us through, guys, I think it'd be helpful if we just kind of shared where we're at personally with each other. And you know what my first thought was? Man, we ain't got time for this, bro. I didn't say it out loud, but that was my thought. Man, we ain't got time for this. I was so blessed by the next few minutes together of us just sharing where we're at, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was a beautiful time. I was so thankful for it. We never grow out of this. A life worthy of the gospel is a life lived together with other Christians, striving side by side with one another. We believe this to our core as a church. Right? We, just like he, the Apostle Paul's writing, You see it in chapter 1, verse 1, to the saints in Christ Jesus, to the overseers, to the deacons. We don't just believe that you can't live the Christian life by yourself. We don't believe that you can serve the church as a deacon by yourself. We don't believe you can lead the church as a pastor, shepherd, overseer by yourself. We have five pastors, elders, overseers, slash, 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 pastors, slash, elders, slash, overseers. You'll hear us use those interchangeably. We've got five of us. We have eight named deacons. We're always looking for more elders and deacons. We cannot do this by ourselves. We are designed by God for community with one another. Lock arms with brothers and sisters in Christ. Strive side by side for the faith. I think one of the reasons we forget this is because we forget exactly where Paul goes next. As we get into verse 28 he says this not only you know a, man, a life worthy of the gospel of Christ involves standing firm together in the faith it also is not frightened by opponents not frightened by opponents Actually the text of verse 28 says what it says not frightened in anything in anything by your opponents Now One thing we know about the Apostle Paul, he had very real opponents. He writes to the church in Philippi as he is imprisoned for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is not the imprisonment that I was talking about in Philippi. This is most likely the imprisonment in Rome that happens later. He's imprisoned for preaching the gospel. He has opponents. Church history tells us that just a few years after he writes this letter, he's going to be executed for preaching the gospel. So Paul has opponents. The Philippian church has opponents. Remember how this church was planted? A riot where they're beating Paul and Silas with rods and then throw them into the local jail? And then we see a prison break happen. Like, I think this church understands opponents. But what does Paul say? He says, do not be frightened by your opponents. Stand firm together. Strive together for the faith. Why? Because the opponents will be destroyed and we who trust in Jesus will be saved. And when we live lives... That stand firm in the faith, stand firm in the gospel, side by side with other people, with other brothers and sisters of Christ, when we're not frightened by the opponents. It reminds us and it tells them that we are the ones who are being saved and they are the ones who are perishing. So if someone comes up to you and says, hey, if you don't stop doing this or that, then we're going to fill in the blank. We're going to mock you. We're going to ostracize you. We're going to spit on you. We're going to fire you from this job. We're going to never promote you again. We're going to throw you in jail. We're going to crucify you in the public square. Whatever the threats that are levied against us are, we don't have to be afraid of them because we know that we have mansions in glory that we're going to. We know that we have a job forever where we'll be partnering with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and it's never going to end. So we don't have to be scared of what they can do to us in this life. We don't have to fear our opponents. We've got to think well about this church. We've got to. Today, in Onslow County, North Carolina, I am not aware of any Christians who have been imprisoned for the faith or executed for the faith in our county recently. Okay? I'm not aware of it. I'm pretty sure I would be aware if it happened in the past five to ten years. And yet... There are opponents of the gospel in our city. There are opponents of the gospel in your neighborhood. There are opponents of the gospel in your workplace. And yes, I have to imagine, just given the numbers here, that there are opponents of the gospel sitting in this room right now. What I want you to notice is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, do not be frightened by your opponents. Don't be frightened by your opponents. He does not say counterattack. Right? He doesn't. He doesn't say debate them on every single front in the public square. He doesn't say to do that. Now, there are times to do that, to do, you know, limited debate here or there or limited contending for the faith here or there. But that's not supposed to be our entire manner of life. He says, do not be afraid of them. So often, I think our our lashing out against our opponents is both counterproductive, but it's also built from fear. We do not have to live lives of fear. I want you to think back to the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 16 that I summarized a moment ago, right? He had been beaten. So just imagine, this is you. You've just been beaten with rods by a mob of people. You're not sure if this is the end or not. Finally, you're saved by a jailer who throws you into jail, locks your feet into stocks, locks the door, and then the Philippian jailer is hanging out there to make sure you stay there. Then God himself, miraculously through an earthquake, breaks loose your bonds and flings open the locked door. And you peek your head out because you're like, am I supposed to leave? Am I supposed to stay? What am I supposed to do here, God? Right. What's going on? And you see the Philippian jailer and he's about to kill himself with his own sword. And what did Paul do? He says, don't do it, man. Do not harm yourself. And then he leads him to become a brother in Jesus Christ along with his entire household. You see, I'm concerned that some of you, and I am prone to this as well, I'm concerned that some are taking the bait of our big enemy, which is Satan himself. You see, opponents of the gospel, if you're fighting with them, and some, the way that they're debating with them, it's like you want them to be destroyed. It's like you want them to be destroyed. It's like if you were Paul standing there and you had your broken bonds and you were peeking your head out of the flung open locked door that you would see the jailer about to kill himself and you would encourage him to do it. Or worse, you'd walk right by and be like, serves you right, bro. Keep walking. not what we're supposed to do it's not at all what the apostle Paul did no what's he do he pleads for the Philippian jailer to repent and believe in the gospel and now he writes to the Philippian church to do likewise he says you do not have to do it we're all here now let me explain why we're not freaked out right now let me explain why we're not scared right now Let me explain to you why we're not afraid right now. Let me explain to you how you too can join us and not be afraid anymore. And Paul told him about Jesus. So let me tell you about Jesus. This is where Paul gets this. You see, Jesus saw the entire world heading towards destruction. Entire world heading toward destruction, hellbound, eternal, forever destruction. And what did Jesus do? He had compassion on them. And he left the throne room of heaven. He was born as a baby in a feeding trough. He lived the perfect life that those who are heading to destruction are unable to live. His opponents didn't stop. His opponents beat him, Jesus. They mocked him. They spit on him. This is the Son of God, the Son of the Most High God. They hung him on a cross, beaten and naked and raised up for all to see. And do you know what Jesus did? On the cross, he did lots of things on the cross. But one of the things he did was he prayed. And he prayed a few things. One of the things he prayed as he hung on the cross, as he looked out at his opponents, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Can you imagine? Being able to forgive those who are executing you in that moment. Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus prayed that God would forgive his executioners. The Apostle Paul witnessed to his jailer, the guy that was keeping him there. And the Apostle Paul brings this right into the living room of the Philippians. In verses 29 and 30, he says this, he says that it has been granted to us who dare to call ourselves Christians. Little Christ. It has been granted to us to not only believe in Jesus, but to also suffer. And he says when we do that, we believe in Jesus, we suffer together, we strive side by side, we don't fear our opponents. When we do this that we are engaged in the same conflict that the Apostle Paul has been engaged with previously and that he still has. I would contend that the conflict that the Apostle Paul is talking about is this conflict that raged from Genesis chapter 3 until Christ's second coming. It's a conflict that is spanned for ages. He says it's been granted not just to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. And when we do that, we're engaged in this conflict that has gone on for millennia. You may say, well, what's what's the point in all of it? Right? Suffer for what? Engage in this conflict that's been happening for thousands of years? For what? Well, our last phrase this morning, verses 29 and 30. For the sake of Christ, for the sake of Christ, to show people who Christ is. If you claim to be a Christian and then you just keep living like your unsaved, wretched self, Christ looks horrible. Right? Like, yeah, I believe in Jesus and I keep living however I want. That makes Christ look horrible. It's not for his sake. Or if you attempt to do something good in and of yourself, right? Like, I'm going to go do this thing and it's going to be awesome and I'm going to do this thing and and God's going to bless it, right? And you do that and it's all on your own and it really is devoid of God. It either makes you look great because you actually carry it out or it makes you look horrible because you didn't carry it out. But either way, Christ is just kind of left to the side. It it is not done for the sake of Christ. Or if you live your life frightened of anyone who opposes you or opposes Christ, Christ is not honored in that. If you find yourself in conflict with opponents of the gospel and you fight with them the same way that they're fighting with you, that doesn't show Christ. It's not what Christ did. Christ could have called down an army of angels to destroy everyone who was crucifying him and to save him. And he didn't do it. He laid down his life as a ransom for many. And we are called to walk in his footsteps as well. So as we circle back, what is your aim in life? What will it look like for you this week to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Who will you seek to make much of? You or Christ? As we've walked through this uh, message this morning, as we've looked at some of these phrases in our passage... What sin do you need to repent of today before God? Repentance, that's just a church word, that's a biblical word where we turn from one thing to another thing. When we use it in this context, we are turning from our sinful ways and turning to following God through His Son, Jesus Christ. What sin do you need to repent of before God? What step of obedience is God prompting you to? Maybe something I've said, maybe a phrase in the passage has caused you to be like, man, I need to, I've been scared of this guy because he's like, he talks well, he's, he's real loud at work, and I've been scared of him, I need to not be scared of him, I need to go talk to him. Or there's this, there's this woman, she's a neighbor of mine, and man, she's, I'm just scared of her i don't know I just she's gonna she 's just mean and i just i'm scared of her, but maybe you need to go talk to her maybe it's the other kids at school maybe it's i, I don't know who it is for you, but what steps of obedience do you, is God prompting you towards and then here's the other thing who do you need to tell the answers to those two questions right because we 're not meant to do this on our own right so if there's a sin that you need to repent of there's a brother or sister in Christ that's going to help you in that journey. If there's a step of obedience you need to take, there's some accountability of telling a brother or sister in Christ, hey, I, I think God's calling me to do this thing. Would you help me? Would you ask me about that like a week from now? Would you talk to me about this? Like there's something that we need to do together. So who do you need to tell the answers to the questions of what you need to repent of and what step of obedience you need to take? So what we've seen in our passage is that we're to do this, to live a life worthy of the gospel, standing firm together, not frightened by our opponents for the sake of Christ. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, we need more of you. Jesus, you give us a beautiful example of what it looks like to not be frightened by your opponents. God, so often we live in this world that is against us. In our day, it's not even overt and obvious that they're against us. It's all really subtle and it's hard for us. But God, I pray that you would help us to stand firm together that we would strive side by side for the faith, that we would not try to get out in front of one another, but instead that we would lock arms and that we would strive side by side for the faith, that we not be overly frightened by opponents, but instead, Lord, I would love to hear stories, I would love to see that opponents of ours today are brothers and sisters in Christ next week. God, that's what you do. You tell us in Romans chapter 5, while we were yet enemies, you Christ died for us. And so we know you turn enemies into friends. And so we want, we want to see it happen in our midst that enemies are turned into friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. As the musicians come up, we're going to sing uh, a couple more songs together. Um, great songs like the first one we're going to sing is Oh Church Arise. And it's this, um, if, if you grew up in church and you sang like Onward Christian Soldiers, right? This is kind of a, a, a more recent writing of that concept of like that we arise together and we're engaged in this conflict that has been waged for a few millennia. Uh, the other one we're going to sing is, O God, our help in ages past, right? That this, this God who has been the help of uh, the Israelites that we read about in Exodus chapter 15 and we sang about, it's the same God that helps us today. Uh, so I would encourage you to stand with us and sing as we continue worshiping together. <laughs>